Soulmates, we're about in the middle of the break for, for those of you all who have like the last week of the year off. Happy Wednesday to you, December 28th, the third day of Kwanzaa. Welcome to Fox Soul's Black Report. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicordelide Corte. We are honored to stand right here behind the desk each day to take you on a journey across black America and the stories that impact our people, especially during this Kwanzaa. That's week. right. You should know the deal by now. And if you don't, we want to let you know we're bringing you our news, our views, and our voice. So let's look at some of today's top headlines. New data from the state of New Jersey shows that there is a significant decline in the number of overdose, overdose deaths in the state. However, the numbers show that black residents, especially those over the age of 55, are disproportionately affected by the lingering problem of deadly overdoses. Now, the data shows in 2022, white people who make up about 70% of the population are expected to make up just over half of overdoses. Black folks who comprise about 12% of the population comprise 28% of drug fatalities. People over the age of 55 also comprise a growing share of deaths, nearly doubling from 16% in 2015 to 31% in 2022. The man who shot and wounded Lady Gaga's dog walker while stealing her French bulldogs last year took a plea deal and will serve 21 years in prison. James Howard Jackson, one of three men and two accomplices who participated in the violent robbery and its aftermath, pleaded no contest to one count of attempted murder. Police say the Lady Gaga connection was a coincidence. The motive was the value of the French Bulldogs, a breed that can run into the thousands of dollars. And detectives, they just don't believe the thieves knew the dog belonged to the musician. Here's a new survey from the Pew Research Center finding that one in four U.S. parents struggle to pay for the family's basic needs. Now, among low-income parents, more than half did not have enough money to pay for food or rent or mortgage payments, and more than one in three also struggled to pay for health care and child care in the past 12 months. That's according to the survey, which was conducted in September and October. Low-income parents also were the most likely to report being worried about losing pay or losing their job if they had to miss work due to child care issues. Two Ethiopians are suing Facebook's parent company Meta over hate speech they say was allowed and even heated rhetoric over their country's deadly Tigray conflict. Former Amnesty International human rights researcher Fashea Tekel is one petitioner in the case filed Wednesday, and the other is the son of university professor Miraj Amari, who was killed weeks after posts on Facebook inciting violence against him. The lawsuit, also backed by Kenya-based legal organization, the Katiba Institute, seeks the creation of a $1.6 billion fund for victims of hate speech. 
It's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. But it underscores how much of a problem this is. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, issues related to misinformation That's and right. disinformation, uh, issues related to hate speech online mm -hmm. are growing exponentially. It was only a few weeks ago, right here on Foxhole's Black Report, that we reported that, uh, that anti-black sentiment on Twitter and other social media platforms had grown uh, to, I think, somewhere over 500 percent, mm -hmm. anti-LGBTQ sentiment up, uh, you know, over 100 percent. And so uh, there is an influx in hate speech online. And it's interesting that uh, of all places, we're seeing, uh, you know, uh, our folks in the motherland saying, hey, you know, you, you need to set aside some funds to really do something right. about this. And to broaden that conversation when you just talk about social media, they're catching it right now because not only are we talking about, you know, hate-filled messages, we're also talking about, you know, um, contesting and, and challenges that are going on uh, that unfortunately are resulting in the death of, of our young people. I know Instagram and Twitter that we mentioned uh, have cases uh, ongoing where parents are fighting back because of how negatively uh, social media has either influenced their child and, and in some cases, like bullying, has resulted in their child taking their life. So social media is have to figure some things out. Yeah, that's right. And if they don't figure it out, it's on uh, Congress that's uh, right. to, to help them to figure it out. Just saying. Mm -hmm. All right. A U.S. Navy hospital ship docked in southwest Haiti has temporarily suspended medical services after 19 people with the mission fell overboard amid a heavy swell hitting the Caribbean region. All 19 were pulled back onto the small boat, which was then lifted by a crane onto the ship. The usual process is for personnel to use a water taxi and step onto a ladder to board the ship. But the heavy surf made that impossible. Officials say two people were injured but are expected to recover. Officials are also trying to figure out how to continue the mission while ensuring safety. Vice President Kamala Harris says she plans to work with Congress to fund a U.S. government investment of more than $100 million in the Young African Leaders Initiative. She made the announcement at the U.S. Africa Leaders Summit in Washington, D.C. As part of this expansion and in collaboration with partners, USAID will create the Young African Leaders Exchange, the first Pan-African virtual platform that will enable the diaspora and other key stakeholders to connect directly with nearly 28,000 YALI alumni from 49 sub-Saharan countries since YALI was launched in 2010. Now, the exchange will promote networking, strengthen the role of mentors and coaches, showcase initiatives, enhance women and marginalized youth's leadership, and support young African leaders to access grant or internship opportunities. And speaking of grants, there's a new initiative by Google providing grants and support for organizations developing black software engineers, developers, and designers. Tech Equity Collective is an initiative started by Google to accelerate black representation and genius in the tech industry. The initiative is partnering with the black community over tech company, uh, with other tech companies and organizations to create holistic pathways for black black tech innovators. Google has joined forces with Goody Nation for this project and will distribute $1 million in those grants. Again, another project um, that is good to see that is on the agenda uh, that
that that speaks of inclusion and and recognition. I just want them to keep that same energy, you know, from from year to year, decade to decade, as this black genius in tech continue to to rise and and stay supported. And between the the Google story mm -hmm. and uh, the story related to young African leaders, it's great to see the private sector and the government stepping up in some pretty significant ways, investing in black leaders across the diaspora. Mm -hmm. The Young Leaders, Young African Leaders Initiative, investing in leaders uh, you know, across the diaspora. Uh, and you know, Google investing in uh, black young people in tech right here mm -hmm. at home. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you know, that's the kind of energy we need to keep going. Um, I know we've reported on a number of layoffs in the tech industry and other yeah. industries, uh, and we've got to be weary about that, but it should not take us away from being able to invest in the very communities that we want to do business That's with. That's right, and supporting the future. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, on to uh, the sports community, where in Seattle, they're honoring a community legend who has always had a smile for those he encountered. His name is Chris Brannon, AKA the Sonics guy. And his family and friends say he was the heart of his community. Take a look. He was on TV, he was on newspapers, he was around all the time. So it was almost like having a, your own local celebrity that lived right here in town. This is where he ran. He ran on 6th Avenue. He would watch the baseball games on 6th Avenue or the football games that he couldn't go see physically. He couldn't not notice who the guy was. Giant man, full Sonic gear, huge afro. He'd always have a sign. I feel like he was hiding behind the sign a lot of the times. I said, Chris, you're the sign, brother. You don't need to carry a sign around anymore. Everybody knows who you are. Yeah, open doors. He was the Sonic guy and everybody knew it. I see a lot of people in green and gold. I see a lot of people I would call my brother or my sister. I see we're one big happy Sonics family. Save our Sonic! If you're gonna do something in life, leave your mark. We are only 10 votes away from bringing NBA basketball back to Seattle. And he did leave his mark. I'm really happy we're moving in the right direction. We're halfway there. He helped the community in that simple belief. Don't ever give up. Bring the NBA back to Seattle, back where it belongs. That's right. Bring him back. The Sonics never came back, but that didn't deter him from continuing his purpose. He wasn't just a guy holding a sign going everywhere. It opened doors for him to influence. It wasn't just pushing the Sonics, it was the fact that he had a big heart for community. He was there for people. That's another thing that a lot of people don't know about Chris. The Sonic guy, you know, he's got his sign, he's got his fame, but when Chris saw somebody in need or help, he was there. If there's one thing that Chris taught me, it was to believe. He'd always have me draw him on the sidewalk in chalk. He's like, I, I need a mural, I need a mural. Like right now, the light is hitting the bricks so you can really see the texture. In his eyes, you know, it looks like he's staring right at you. It's a fun ride, brother. It's a fun ride. We finally got him the mural, but he's not here to see it. I just remember falling on the ground and, and, and ex trying to accept, accept it, you know? I parked right here late in the evening and I just stared at it like, hey, you know, like, I miss you, buddy. He's always had like a heart condition that he was battling. Like it had started getting worse. Called him up and he said, hey, I'm not feeling good today. Went over, knocked on the door, and I realized immediately that he was in trouble. I said, you're going to the hospital. Got to get you in there, brother. He said, give me a second. And he walked back in the house, 
put on his Sonics gear, put his pick in his hair, and uh, then he got in the car. So then I took him to the emergency room and, and uh, we know the rest of the story. We recognize, Master, that you already know how heavy some hearts are, the emotions that some of us are experiencing even right now. He was so present to us in so many places. He became part of us. He became part of our heart. Chris Brannon was the most authentic, kind soul that I'll ever meet. I don't know, I just miss him. Everybody wanted to shake his hand. Everybody wanted a picture. We would just take a few steps and it's like, hey, Sonic Scott, can I get a picture? And he always said yes. He gave that person enough time to feel important and to feel special. He's the number one example in my life that good guys do win. And that kindness has a strength to it that shouldn't be denied. If we could just lead a Supersonics cheer for Chris, that'd be great. Super! Super! I hope we can hear you up there. Cheers, Chris. Let's all face Chris. We're all facing this, but we're all facing the stage. There's a song that says, if anybody ever write my life story, I hope that they would say, I tried to help somebody. And that is the epitome of the life of Chris. And if we really want to keep his legacy alive, put a shirt on, put a hat on, and turn around and keep turning until God show you somebody that you can help. And when that person asks you, what made you help me? Nod the Sonic's hat and say it was because of Chris. Amen. Friends say Brandon admitted that uh, people probably thought he was nuts for how hard he went for Seattle, but says it was always for the love of the game and the community. No, not nuts at all. I think people like that are sent here as as messengers, you know, and if you look back on that piece, he was about unity and hope and validation. He validated people taking time out to, you know, shake hands and, 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 and take pictures. Yeah, it was predicated on the whole sonic guy thing, but um, just his the, the, the humanitarian uh, aspect of this is just uh, far reaching. And uh, I don't know whether to shed a tear or cheer for the, for the Sonics. I remember it, we called them Seattle Supersonics back in the day. And there was a player, uh, and I'm sure uh, Brandon would, would know this player, um, Sean Kemp. He was a beast. So I remember the Seattle yeah. Supersonics. And I forgot that they didn't have an NBA team anymore. They left on out of there. So uh, I'm hoping in his memory that one day the NBA will return to Seattle. Yeah. You know, one of the things that really jumped out at me from uh, that story was the joy mm. that he carried with him mm -hmm. and the joy that he spread uh, among anybody that, that encountered him, anybody and everybody. And, you know, it just, just comes also as a cautionary tale that, you know, cardio cardiovascular related diseases mm -hmm. sort of take that joy away. Mm -hmm. We know that in the black community uh, that uh, issues related to cardiovascular health um, are some of the leading ca causes of death. Uh, in our community, and so soulmates, you know, uh, be sure to, to uh, take care of yourself and, right. and, and make sure that uh, you're keeping an eye on, on your health and, and all of that because um, 
I know we all feel like uh, that was another life that was just gone yeah. too soon. Just an amazing story, though, on yeah. the other side of that. Yeah. 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 Well, still ahead, uh, one well-known pastor is making headlines on social media after a portion of his sermon sparked some controversy in the community. We'll tell you who it is and what they said coming up after the break. Stay with us. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. Oh, Lord. Lord, Lord. Soulmates, between the safe return of wrongfully detained black and openly gay WNBA star Brittany Griner from Russia and President Biden's signing of the Respect for Marriage Act codifying same-sex marriage under federal law, LGBTQ acceptance may appear to be more mainstream than ever. At the same time, anti-black and anti-LGBTQ rhetoric has proliferated online. A tidal wave of legislation targeting LGBTQ rights crashed over state, legisl uh, yes, over state legislators this year. And tragedies like what we saw at Club Q in Colorado Springs remind us that hate abounds. A four-year-old sermon delivered by Pastor John Wesley is trending on Twitter and challenging some assumptions, too. Take a listen. And you limit Sodom and Gomorrah to simply a lesson on homosexuality, you have missed three things. Number one, Sodom and Gomorrah is not about same-gender love. It's about violence and rape. A mob of men want to rape innocent men. This is not same gender love. This is violence. And when we talk about same gender love, if you equate same gender love to violent acts, you have disrespected the conversation. Him loving him is not the same as a mob of men trying to rape somebody. Pastor John Wesley is pastor over the famed Alfred Street Baptist Church in Virginia. A large study by U.S. Highway Safety Regulators found that more than half the people injured or killed in traffic crashes had one or more drugs or alcohol in their bloodstreams. A study published this week by the National Highway Traffic, Traffic Safety Administration found that just over 54% of injured drivers had drugs or alcohol in their systems, with an active ingredient in marijuana being THC, being the most prevalent, followed by alcohol. Traffic deaths have risen dramatically since the start of the pandemic to what officials describe as crisis levels and uh, with more states legalizing recreational use of marijuana as research is just starting about the impact 
on traffic safety. And I'd like to circle back around to the pastor. We all know that you're a part of, of that community. Both of us, you're currently in DC. Yeah. I was in DC, so I'm very familiar uh, with that church since mm -hmm. it's right outside of DC in Alexandria, Virginia. And I know sometimes when you don't have a chance to listen to uh, a speech or a sermon in its entirety, we have a tendency to take things out of context. But Juni Cordell, I listened to that whole sermon and, and your take on that. I did, you know, and, and uh, Pastor Wesley, he prefaced uh, that sermon by saying, look, folks, you know, he felt like the Lord was, you know, expanding him, stretching him. Mm -hmm. And so he said, as a result, he was going to stretch uh, his flock uh, in the sermon. And he expected that it would make folks feel a little uncomfortable. But, you know, black liberation theology, you know, which is an area of practice, uh, has a tendency to do that. And, you know, I think no matter where you stand on LGBTQ uh, rights and no matter how uh, dialed in you are to mm -hmm. your, you know, uh, biblical history, uh, I think most people, you know, would uh, agree that that interpretation of Sodom and Gomorrah um, really sort of challenges some mainstream assumptions about what that particular passage in the Bible was all about, a passage that's been used uh, to, you know, justify the ill treatment of LGBTQ people. And mm -hmm. so it's a teachable moment. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, as a journalist, I really love, you know, writing stories and sharing stories that age well with time. The fact that this sermon is over four years old and, it's and, and, and is now trending mm -hmm. on, on social media um, uh, in light of recent events, I think it's, it's good food for thought, and I'm not just going to take it, but I want to share it. Okay. And we appreciate you for giving, giving us that insight from the inside out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Indeed. All right. Black women with symptoms of depression more often report sleep disturbances, self-criticism, and irritability than stereotypical symptoms such as a depressed mood, according to a study led by researchers at NYU Rory Myers College of Nursing and Columbia University School of Nursing. Black women in the study with greater depressive symptoms were more likely to report fatigue, insomnia, decreased libido, and self-critical symptom, uh, symptoms like self-hate, self-blame, than stereotypical depression symptoms such as feelings of hopelessness or depressed mode. Symptoms of depression can can vary from one person to the next, and there are more than 1,500 possible combinations of symptoms that meet criteria for a depressive disorder, meaning that patients can share the same diagnosis and have no symptoms in common. Well, do you know who the Buffalo Soldiers are? I know who the Buffalo Soldiers do are. Do you know? You know I do. Yeah, well, there's a nonprofit in Detroit that's working hard to make sure that their legacy lives on. Take a look. A lot of people don't know about the Buffalo Soldiers, never heard about the Buffalo Soldiers. So what do you know about the Buffalo Soldiers? Here I am in one of two nationally recognized museums specifically on Buffalo Soldiers. In spite of their treatment, they still said, we love this country and we want to serve this country. Specifically, the Buffalo Soldiers from 1866 to 1944, we kind of group almost all black military service into that Buffalo Soldier realm. They believe in what the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution said. The Buffalo Soldiers were those men who were freedmen after Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863. The Buffalo Soldiers were the only American forces that were given to a foreign command. 
during the time of war. It's because of these men that World War I was won. Henry uh, Johnson of the Harlem Hellfighters, he was known as the Black Death. And also that World War II was won. They were placed on the front lines because they were seen as expendable. And notice everybody has chaps on. These are Mr. Jones's chaps. The museum was started by the founder, William Jones, in 2005. Mr. Jones was one of the last 1,500 enlistees into the 10th Cavalry Regiment in 1941. That's where the founder actually did his major service and he was captured in the Korean War. He also happened to be my dad. This is his retirement after 20 years and a POW, retiring from Fort Bliss, Texas. So when he passed away because of his love for the country. He wanted to maintain that history that he went through and endured for the community, to keep the community going, that history. He left the museum to tell the story of the black soldiers who served in the country. With the 10th Cavalry, which Mr. Jones was, it was ready and forward. They were always ready and they were always looking to move forward. It was not about looking back. And unfortunately, these men couldn't read or write for many, many years years so they could not articulate their story. They captured each one of the, the hills in San Juan and it wasn't until they captured the fourth and final hill that later was Roosevelt brought up to the hill to survey the actual secure objective. So none of his units captured any of the hills during the Battle of San Juan. It was all Buffalo Soldier, but we didn't get any credit. History, bare bones fact is specific dates, specific times, specific events. It's history. It occurred. It's not a theory. We must look at American history. We must look at those who served. We must look for the next generation. That's what this story is about, American history. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm walking in the footsteps of those men that provided to uh, restore democracy in this country. It's important to try to get that history out so it can be preserved. If you'd like more information on the Buffalo Soldiers Heritage Association, visit buffalosoldiersdetroit.org. Such an important, important story, and yet we're back at the same point with our history being you know, eradicated and us having to find it and discover it and then publish and share these stories. There's a song by the great Bob Marley that says, you know, Buffalo Soldier, Dread Latarasta, mm -hmm. uh, stolen for Af from Africa, bought to America. Check that song out, check the lyrics. So the stories have been out here, whether, you know, mainstream folks have picked up on, on, on it or not. And I just think as a culture, unfortunately, we just have to dig deep and help those stories rise to mm -hmm. the top. Uh, I love the Buffalo story. Uh, soldier. I and, really do. And I'm here for the resistance story. Mm. I mean, you know, this was a story that these Buffalo soldiers couldn't tell themselves because mm -hmm. as they mentioned in the package, uh, many of them could not read or write, mm -hmm. right? And so it was an oral history uh, that was passed on and on and on. And so I think it's a marvelous thing that, uh, you know, this group here in, in Detroit uh, is doing uh, uh, the hard work, you know, of making sure that that story doesn't die. That story right. continues. It's passed on to the next generation. And it shouldn't be lost on any of us mm -hmm. that this is all happening at a time where we see so many efforts across the country to erase black history, mm -hmm. right? To erase uh, black authors, uh, to pull these books out of the classroom. And so, this history is so important. It's important to remind folks that, you know, our history goes, you know, beyond when we uh, uh, arrived on the, uh, you Boundless, know, the, endless, the, on the shores here in, in America. Mm -hmm. You know, our history runs deep and 
you know, Buffalo soldiers were also essential to maintaining our democracy, That's to right. protecting our democracy, building our democracy. And so a big shout out to those organizers for uh, that work, the narrative change I was work. Say, keeping those narratives uh -huh. alive and, and, revel and, and prevalent. Sounds like you love the Buffalo Soldier story too. <laughs> Absolutely. Indeed. Who doesn't? I know, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, coming up, there is a new stamp in town and it's one of us. So, Mace, if you're not a stamp collector, you might want to become one. We'll tell you which iconic civil rights figure will be featured on the next stamp. So excited. So excited. Watching Fox Soul's Black Report. We'll be right back. That's right. You know, I met him. Welcome back and thank you so much for joining us as we are counting down the days to 2023. Can you believe it? Happy holidays to you. Let's run back some of today's top headlines just in case you're joining us. The man who shot and wounded Lady Gaga's dog walker while stealing her French bulldogs last year took a plea deal and will serve 21 years in prison. James Howard Jackson, one of the three men and two accomplices who participated in the violent robbery and its aftermath pleaded no contest to one count of attempted murder. Police say the Lady Gaga connection was a coincidence. The motive was the value of the French dogs, a breed that can run into the thousands of dollars. And detectives do not believe the thieves knew the dogs belonged to the musician. And a new survey from the Pew Research Center finds that one in four U.S. parents struggle to pay for their family's basic needs. Among low-income parents, more than half did not have enough money to pay for food or rent or mortgage payments. And more than one in three also struggled to pay for health care and child care in the past 12 months. That's according to the survey, which was conducted in September and October. Low-income parents also were the most likely to report being worried about losing pay or losing their job if they had to miss work due to child care issues. And Vice President Kamala Harris says she plans to work with the Congress to fund a U.S. government investment of more than $100 million in the Young African Leaders Initiative. She made the announcement at the U.S. Africa Leaders Summit in D.C. As a part of this expansion and in collaboration with partners, USAID will create the Young African Leaders Exchange the first pan-African virtual platform that will enable the diaspora and other key stakeholders to connect directly with nearly 28,000 YALI alumni from 49 sub-Saharan countries since uh, YALI was launched back in 2010. And there's a new initiative by Google providing grants for support and for organizations developing black software engineers, developers, and designers. Tech Equity Collective is an initiative started by Google to accelerate black representation and genius in the tech industry. The initiative is partnering with the black community, other tech companies and organizations to create holistic pathways for black tech inventors. Google has joined forces with Goody Nation for this project and will distribute $1 million in grants. Nicole Lai. 
Thank you, Courtney. Now off to Sudan, where Sudan's coup leaders and the main pro-democracy group signed a deal to establish a civilian-led transitional government following the military takeover just last year. But key players refused to participate and no deadline was set for the transition to begin. The framework signed by top officials in Sudan appears to offer only the broadest outlines for how the country will resume its, pro its progression to democracy. That process was upended in October 2021 when Burhan unseated the civilian, half of, of the Sudan's ruling sovereignty council. It's not clear whether or how quickly the signed deal can offer a way out for Sudan. And Somalia's last four rainy seasons have failed, and there's a fear that the current rains may fail due to climate change. The United Nations warns that next year nearly half of Somalia's population could be in what uh, it labels as critical food crisis with full-on famine conditions in some of the hardest-hit parts of the country. Millions of Somalis are going hungry and children are suffering from severe malnutrition and wasting. In the short term, agencies are focused on Somalia's current food crisis, looking for ways for the country to adapt. Cuban officials announced that women boxers would be able to compete officially after decades of restrictions, though they didn't yet confirm if that would be taken to a professional level like it was with Cuban male boxers earlier this year. Cuba is known worldwide for boxing, home to many legendary male boxers, among them Felix Savon, Teofilo Stevenson, and Julio Cesar La Cruz, and owner of a dozen of Olympic uh, medals uh, in the sport. Uh, they said that Cuban women boxers will be able to train in state sports centers starting in January. Women will wear additional padding. You did good. You got a little Spanish lesson on in that, <laughs> Reed. You did yeah, really good. I grew up in California. So. I know, right? Uh-huh. I had a chance to visit Cuba. Uh, when you did? Really? I did when Obama opened up those doors. And, and I want to say, uh, I remember Beyonce and, yeah. and, and Jay-Z going over there visiting and, and making good on Americans uh, going to Cuba, it was a blast. Yeah. And my great-grandfather, who who I knew, he was 95 when he passed years ago, uh, he's from the Caribbean, and before he came to the States through Ellis Island, him and his brother Island hopped, and he always told us that Cuba had the prettiest beaches, but as, as Americans, we could never access it, yeah. you know, from America. And so years and years and years, about four, about six years ago, get, got a chance to go, and he was absolutely right. I had a wonderful time, very courteous. The food was wonderful, and the, the report was right. Boxing along with baseball and soccer. That is all Cuba, baby. It's interesting. I should have looked for you when I was there, because I was there you around win? the same time. I, was, I flew in the day after Obama left. And, oh. and so I was there on I a learning tour. I was months after you. You, you were a little closer to the royalty. I was well after he left. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was one of uh, the, it's actually the only Caribbean country that I've been to. Mm. Um, it just so happens. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't been to Jamaica yet, but I'm working on we it. We gotta get you in. Uh, but uh, one of the things that has been so delightful to see mm -hmm. uh, is how, how much Cuba has evolved in a very short period yes. of time on human rights. Clearly there is a long way to go. Um, and there are folks that have very um, uh, serious views mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. the Cuban government. And, and But, you know, the fact that 
women are now able to compete in boxing um, is That's it's huge. a micro step forward, right? Considering um, you know what more they can do, but yeah. we'll take it. And did you see the cars? They're fascinated with old vintage American yeah. cars. Yeah. I mean, it's it is a thing there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. we got to talk more yeah. about that. Yeah. I didn't oh, know. Who knew? See, we just learned that on air about each other. See, guys. you never know what you might learn right here on Fox News <laughs> Black Report. <laughs> Viva la Cuba. Now, speaking, speaking of learning uh, about new things, things that you never knew uh, might happen, check out this uh, latest update from the U.S. Postal Service that announced plans to memorialize the late Representative John Lewis with a new stamp next year. Lewis was selected for his devotion to equality and justice for all Americans, defending and building on key civil rights gains that he had helped achieve in the 1960s. Now, the announcement said, even in the face of hatred and violence, as well as some 45 arrests, Lewis remained resolute in his commitment to what he liked to call good trouble. The civil rights giant and longtime Georgia congressman died of cancer in 2020. All right, let's let's get it in with this black excellence. HBCU alum Dr. Brandi Williams is using her success to support the generation of medical professionals coming behind her. A proud Texas Southern grad and one of the youngest black female pharmacists in the Houston area to her own to own her own pharmacy. Dr. Williams recently uh, made a generous contribution of one hundred thousand dollars to the medical program to assist enhancing the studies for minority students. William tells reporters, quote, I hope it will ignite a spirit of generosity and teach them the importance of giving back to places and people who have poured into them. And that is key. I often say your getting is in your giving and somebody gave uh, in some sort of way for her to get to where she is and to be able to recognize that reach back, give back. That's what it's all about, you ask me. And speaking of somebody who gave so much, I mean, back to Representative John Lewis, oh. I am so excited uh, to uh, see him featured on a stamp. Uh, he is a personal hero to so many of us. You met uh, him. I had a chance to meet him. Oh, of wow. all places, I met him at the Human Rights Campaign Dinner some mm -hmm. years ago, along with uh, Earl Falks. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, he was just incredibly warm and gracious. And he actually invited me to come visit him in his office. And his, mm. his office is like a, like a museum mm -hmm. uh, on Capitol Hill, or, or it was. Uh, and he was the real deal. Mm -hmm. Every time I saw him on Capitol Hill or at some event, he was so accessible and um, he made you feel like you were the only person in the universe he was talking to. Yeah. Um, and he lives, leaves behind such a rich legacy in deeds, um, also in people that he's trained, his staff, uh, folks like Michael Collins continue uh, to, 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 to bring that energy mm -hmm. uh, to the work that they're a part of. And it's good to see, you know, the, the next generation, like in the story uh, thereafter with the good doctor, uh, following in that legacy to, to get into good trouble, to fight the good fight, and to give back. So, you know, there's that intersection uh, of generations there. And, uh, you know, I know we we report on a lot of stories and you go, oh my God, are you serious? But there are just as many or even more uh, stories that uh, focus in on the goodness of it all. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And speaking of good stories, we have another feel good story mm -hmm. for you soulmates. One man's vision of what the world could be like is delivered from a food truck. Here's the inspiring story of Ham Hock Jump. <laughs> 
So it started way back in the, in the Midwest as a little baby boy. I was always eating them good grits and catfish. Last bite coming up. All gone, y'all. And I said, Mama, I want to make grits and catfish one day, too. Woo! Oh, I love it, man. And make the world happy when they're down in blue. So that's how it happened, man. Five years now, man, I've been knocking out hunger. Look out, hunger. You're going to taste the love, brother. Food is good. <laughs> Dance and cook and sing, chicken wings. You get everything that you come down here for. Welcome to Ham Hot Jones. We spread love through grub. I'd rather feed all of you. Yeah. Come on, dude, get that catfish, y'all. I love people. Woo! I love making people happy. Come on, love, hit them with the keys. My mother always instilled into me, help people, make a difference when you can. Have yeah. a good day. I'm not a millionaire, man, but when this COVID thing hit, people was out of work. So I just said, look, if y'all need something to eat, you don't got no money, come on down, I'm gonna feed you. Don't need nothing else but just this. But also it's about the fact that right now, during a hard time, people need to smile. I'm gonna knock out that hunger, baby. <laughs> I'm trying to make the difference I can in the world. You got to think global, but act local. Don't nothing bring people together more than some good food. As long as we love one another and do the things that we need to do, we're going to be all right. But you can come down here anytime. You're going to get a smile, you're going to get some music, and everything's going to go good. <laughs> you can come out here and feed your whole family for, you know, 25 bucks. I dropped my prices because I knew people was losing, losing work, man, and stuff like that. When you work from your heart, to make a difference in the world, people feel it, man. You Sam? Sam right there. You're not Sam, come on. It's really me just trying to feed people and give them something at a reasonable price and give them something they're missing and they need right now. I finally found my purpose in life. Soul food and soul music, baby. I wake up every day, man, with a smile on my heart, going, woo! I'm gonna go knock out some hunger, you know? That's how I do it. I would say that the, the fish will bring the bliss and the fries will stop the cries. So I'm trying to knock out hunger and bring happiness one chicken wing at a time. That's all I can do. We're going to show you some love and give you some love and feed you like family. It's all about that love, peace, and that fish grease. That's it, man. Catfish! Nothing more, nothing less. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's up, brother. One more, one more, one more, one more. All right, let's see if we can do this. Love, peace, and fish grease. Uh-huh. <laughs> that, was, that was fantastic. I mean, what is just another example of the importance that kindness plays in helping the world go round. I happen to be a big believer that community, mm -hmm. community can pull us through life's peaks and valleys. Mm. And so when I think back to some of the darkest days of the pandemic, uh, which was referenced in, in the piece, I think of you know, all the creative ways in which we created community with, with, with each other. So That's whether right. it was hopping on Clubhouse or listening to DJ D-Nice or, mm. you, know, uh, you know, Zoom uh, calls with family, um, you know, going on, you know, walking uh, dates with folks, uh, sometimes, you know, six feet apart from each other. But just those reminders that yeah. you're not in this world all by yourself yeah. and that somebody else is checking for you and checking on you and rooting for you. I think, uh, you know, those are the things. If we can keep that energy going beyond the holidays, mm -hmm. then I, I think we're going to be off to a great start in 2023. Yeah. And Clubhouse was that deal for a minute, then it just kind of just kind of went away. But I, I love this guy. I mean, he is like the quintessential catch. I mean, pay attention, ladies. He's a cook. He's a musician. And he's got he's got a mouthpiece. He will spit game. What did he say? He said fish will bring bliss and and the and the fries will dry your eyes or something. Dry the dry the crotch. <laughs> and he's I love this. He said 
um, people need to smile. Yeah. People need to smile. And he was feeding folks, and, and he probably didn't have a lot of income coming in, but he was able to, to find a way to, to give and feed people during the pandemic. And I'm telling you, if we continue to lean heavy in, in a spirit like this, we will be okay. I just have to trust that. And I just have to trust there are going to be more people out here like this this young man than not. And that as, as a village, as a community, as a culture, as a block, we will be okay. Amen. Amen to that. Well, coming up, how you can have a piece of the legacy of the Queen of Soul. More entertainment headlines after the break. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. Happy holidays. Soulmates, Oscar award-winning actress Octavia Spencer yes. was honored with her own star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for her many years of success. Yeah, Spencer's ability to embody various characters has earned her multiple awards and nods, including a nomination for Outstanding Leading Actress in a Limited Series or Movie at the 72nd Primetime Emmy Awards and Outstanding Actress in a Television Movie, Limited Series or Dramatic Special at the 52nd NAACP Image Awards. The Alabama native began her acting career back in 96 with a time to kill. Since then, Octavia has dominated roles as many in The Help, uh, Dorothy in Hidden Figures, Madam C.J. Walker in the Netflix limited series Self Made, inspired by the life of Madam C.J. Walker, and Sue Ann in the 2019 psychological thriller Ma. With NFT sales drastically declining over the last few months, the NFT startup Fair.xyz decided to spice things up with a Snoop dupe. Yep, that's right. The founder hired a Snoop Dogg impersonator to fool people at an NFT conference. And it worked. Here's why. According to a statement, the prank was intended to highlight how bots, hackers, scammers, and other imposters have become commonplace in the NFT industry. Snoop Dogg, as the fake was named, did create some buzz. The stunt wasn't enough to make the non-fungible token industry relevant again. Mm. Wow. That NFT thing, here we are back at it again. We're gonna have to get an expert, a crypto NFT. My brother is a is an NFT crypto expert. I yeah. mean, he got in on it back when I think crypto was like 10 cents, uh -huh. you know? Um, and then he's, you know, into this FT thing. And he's tried to explain it to me and I just, I, it just doesn't register for me. But I think this is, this is the future. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I feel like I need to understand it to some extent. I don't even understand what Snoop just did, yeah. but it, <laughs> it sound newsworthy. So we had it here for you on Fox Souls Black Report. Well, listen, I'm not an expert. <laughs> I'm not an expert, but I know this much. Hmm. Uh, it all comes down to how you manage your risk, mm. right? And so if you're gonna experiment like that. with, you know, crypto or NFTs, you know, or if you're gonna experiment in the real estate market or whatever, when it comes to diversifying your portfolio, I think a lot of it comes down to managing risk. Now, mm. I'm not the financial expert, <laughs> right? But I can tell you, as for me and my house. <laughs> as for you and your change. <laughs> that is the principle <laughs> that Montre and I operate with. As for you and your change. That's right, that's right, that's right.
<laughs> All right, let's talk about uh, the Queen of Soul. How much do we miss Aretha Franklin? You know, we're in her, this is her hometown mm -hmm. headquarters, that's right. Uh, her Detroit golf club home is selling for a little less than $1 million, and you can have a piece of the action. Aretha Franklin's home, built in 1927, consists of six bedrooms, four and a half baths, and an attached three-car garage, and is close to 6,000 square feet. That's according to the listing. Now, the home has had some updating, but will still need some work. Nothing wrong with reimagining that home for yourself. It's located on Hamilton Road near Seven Mile. You know, we do the miles here in Detroit, right at uh, Woodward Avenue. Still a wonderful, wonderful area to live in, and, and that's basically a steal. Yeah, Go for it. it. The queen of soul. That's it. For a little less than a million dollars. <laughs> All right, Courtney, that's what you're going to do? Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Actor Christopher Judge takes home best performance at the 2022 Game Awards. Douglas Christopher Judge is an American actor best known for playing Teal C in the Canadian-American military science fiction television series Stargate SG-1 and Kratos in the 2018 video Game God of War. The Game Awards recognizes and upholds creative and technical excellence in the global video game industry. All right, another area I really don't, I'm really not too familiar with. The, you know, I know a lot of gamers and they are serious and there are a lot of people who are making a lot of money being gamers. I think you, you, you tap in and some kind of way you make money and they, and they do quite well. That's a whole nother universe that I'm not necessarily familiar with, but I know it exists and it's very serious. You know, what I love about this is, you know, it, we're, we're highlighting an area of the creative economy that, you know, most people don't necessarily think a whole lot mm -hmm, about. When we mm -hmm. think of creators, we think of, you know, people in front of the screen, we think of, you know, directors and producers, right. but we don't think about folks that are, you know, designers mm -hmm. and programmers mm -hmm. and gamers, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's important that our soulmates know that, uh, that there are so many opportunities that abound uh, in the creative economy, and a lot of these jobs are the jobs of the future. And That's so right. I hope just by folks hearing this today that they might, you know, hop on Google uh, and, and learn a little bit and more. Because who knows, we may, there may be a future uh, leading gaming industry person that is tuned into this show right now. And we've been throwing out, you know, stories about, you know, this this industry and this technology uh, that includes uh, people behind the scenes. We, we know that we play the games, but sometimes we don't know that we are responsible uh, for the legacy of those games, starting with uh, systems like Atari and Nintendo, mm -hmm. who are very uh, closely related to and aligned with, with a black man who created that technology. That's the missing component that I can get with, even if I'm not a gamer, uh, I can yeah. get with the, the history and the, and the creators mm -hmm. uh, behind these games that don't get really talked about and celebrated. Mm -hmm. And part of what I'm really, color. part of what I'm really excited about is that we're going from being consumers mm -hmm. to being industry leaders and creators. To, to being creators. Yeah. And so, uh, so, you know, shout out to all the gamers out there. That's Keep it. gaming. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Still ahead. Getting a seat at the table is one thing, but being yourself while you're there is another. How one engineer is breaking barriers in her lab when we return, you're gonna to wanna to see this story. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report.
All right, there is a black female engineer making waves as she makes a point of wearing braids in the lab saying, quote, if you Google a scientist, I can promise you you're not gonna get pictures of a black woman with cornrows. Okay, 29 year old. Uh, Finula O'Reilly is actively working to recruit and mentor black women pursuing careers in STEM while being intentional about every decision, including how she wears her hair. O'Reilly says that representation is so impactful for the next generation and she intentionally makes the effort to show up as herself in spaces where we're not often seen at all. Now, this passion for inclusion recently gained her attention on Twitter uh, when she shared a photo of herself rocking feed-in braids while working in a lab. O'Reilly says that as a black woman on a national science show, I intentionally wear braids and my curly afro to normalize black hair. Amen, sister, and big ups to all those, you know, in that STEM uh, space because it is way over my head and my intellect and my wheelhouse. Listen, Bill Nye the science guy wasn't wearing cornrows. Well, no, this is very, this right? is very true. You know, but you know, I mean, think about like folks like LeVar Burton, mm -hmm. you know, who made mm -hmm. reading exciting. Mm -hmm. um, you know, seeing that representation, mm -hmm. somebody that, that looked like us, somebody that we could relate to somebody that was a part of our culture yeah. as Kunta Kinte. And so, I'm so glad she's so intentional. That's what caught my attention here. Absolutely. I'm Nicordelai Corte. And I'm Courtney Hicks. Until next time, stay, stay lifted. lifted.